you got to open up a trust with them and say, basically, look, you are the trustee. I'm the beneficiary of this trust. I have these debts, the house, the car, the boat, the whatever, and I want you to do a set off on them with my credits. He can write you a check. All you got to do is cash it. And we, uh, you know, we, we, we split uh, whatever. I mean, I'm with you. I'm with you. I like it. I feel like it's illegal, but I'm okay with that. And I'm a solid guy, Matt. I didn't have to turn anybody in, yo. No, you went to trial. I'm a solid guy, Matt. How did that work out? Hey, this is Matt Cox, and I'm doing an interview today with uh, actually a guy that I know from Coleman Federal Prison. Uh, we were in the same unit. He was actually roommates with John Boziak, and he has a super unique story, and you really need to, to, to watch this because it's, 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 it's a very it's, I wanna, it's a very interesting and unique story about you got to watch this. All right, let's just yeah. <laughs> let's start at the beginning, bro. Like, where where were you born? I was born in New York City. Um, actually, this is what happened. Fidel Castro came into Cuba in January of 1959, and my father could see the writing of the wall. What's happening? And um, they decided that I was not going to be born in Cuba. I was going to be, you know, they wanted to go to New York because my mother was an American and my father was Cuban. He was in Havana. He was a law student. And um, it's funny how they met. Um, uh, he was dating a woman named Ida, who I'll tell you later who she became. But Ida was dating him and she had to go to New York. This was during the, you know, when the mafia had the, you know, casinos and stuff. And it was it was a party town. And um it was, Batista was the pre, was the president yeah, of Cuba. Yeah, this is before Fidel. Fidel, Fidel, right? And um, <clears throat> so she had to go to New York, and she asked my her friend, who was my mother, Gina, to you know watch her apartment. And she said that her boyfriend would probably come over, and uh, you know apparently he did because here I am. <laughs> so they started to uh, you know entangled with each other i guess and um one thing led to another and they got married so anyway he uh once castro came in he decided you know they both decided i guess that i would be born in new york city so that's why i'm an american but um they went back to cuba after uh, i was born in new york and um they, they you know things just weren't getting any better they they, they could see things were kind of getting bad so they moved to Puerto Rico. And uh, that's where I lived till um, they got divorced. I think I was like four or five, but I didn't speak English. Till I was like seven. And um, my mother, she lost custody of me because she had opened up, which in 1963, women didn't do this. She opened up a gay bar in 1963, which women didn't do. You know, this is 1963. In Puerto Rico? Yeah, in Puerto Rico. And um, so because of that, she had lost custody of me. It was, it was not uh, something the women did. And the judge, you know, the judge, of course, didn't look favor upon that at the time. So 
custody was given to my grandmother who my mother felt she was being screwed. So when she was given the, the weekend or whatever to have, you know, visitation with me, she actually kidnapped me from Puerto Rico, went to New York and I didn't see my father till I was 18 again. So, I mean, he searched for me for seven years, but uh, he couldn't find me. Plus he had the language barrier. So what she did was, um, I guess we lived in New York in her apartment for a couple of years, but eventually I went to live with my cousins in Long Island. And, um, the, you know, I, I ended up going to school. I failed first grade because I didn't speak English. I didn't know anything of what was going on. I failed first grade. Did you? Just because I was <laughs> stupid. You were dyslexic. Yeah, you I said dyslexia. <laughs> <laughs> my, my brothers and sisters said, I, I used to tell them I have a learned disability, and they go, yeah, stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I had a language disability. This is way for ESL. Um, what is it? Uh, English as a second language, ESL stuff. Right. So um, it was hard. I learned basically English by watching TV. You know, I dream of Genie, Gentle Ben, Doctari, and all the, you know, Batman, Superman shows, basically. No one sat me down and, you know, this is what you say when you say English. No. So anyway, um, I lived with my cousins for about two years and lived with my, and then I was moved to my grandmother in Connecticut in, uh, place called West Cornwall, Connecticut, a little itty bitty town. And she had changed my name from Marrero to Goddard. So he couldn't find me. So she was married to um, Neville Goddard Jr. I don't know if you know the name Neville Goddard. He's on YouTube a lot. He's uh, into manifestations and, you know, esoteric stuff. But if you look him up on YouTube, he's there. I mean, he's been dead a long time, but they got all his teachings there. But she was married to his son, <clears throat> so she gave me his name when I was growing up. My mother, my mother was not meant to be a mother. I mean, she uh, she was you know she was an actress and a singer, and uh, I remember and, that. And a mess. Yeah, she. she so I sent you a picture of her, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but I remember you talking about her being an actress. <sighs> what a mess. I mean. Um, she had no idea about business. She, she was just a, a wreck. I mean, from, from, a, I mean, she smoked and drank, which, you know, which like was a wreck, thing. like a, like a free spirit, sorry, excuse me, like a, like a free spirit wreck or like a, like a, a an angry. No, no, no. She wasn't angry. She was just, a, um, any success she would start to get, she would sabotage her own success, you know? Okay. She, um, and, and she didn't have a firm grasp of reality at all. I mean, as, as I was growing, it, when I finally did move with her, I'll tell you later when I was like 14 or so, 13, um, she uh, was constantly saying she was going to have a, you know, go back to Hollywood and do a talk show with Sophia Loren and this and that. And it was, oh God, it was just a nightmare to live with this every fucking day. And, um, Anyway, she uh, she was not meant to be a mother. She was also a black book madam for a while. You know, she had a she was a madam. I remember this. I yeah. remember you talking about this. Yeah. And um, she knew a lot of uh, like 
low level, uh, I should say low level, but low, lower on the known level of actors, you know, like, um, you know, Larry Gates, who was in the Body Snatchers and, you know, um, she was supposed to marry Steve Allen at one time, believe it or not. And she knew uh, Orson Welles and a whole bunch of people, but she never could make it as an actress. I mean, it's very, it's a very tough business. Yeah. Very tough. And um, she says she was a good singer. She could sing. But man, there was no, you know, AGT at the time, you know, <laughs> it was hard to make it. I wanted to let you guys know that I have a Patreon account. If you're interested in joining the Patreon account, it's got three tiers. The top tier, you actually get a different con man painting every single month. If you're already joined and you're already supporting me, I really appreciate that. If you haven't joined yet and you're interested in joining, I'm going to leave the contact information for Patreon in the description. Thank you very much for watching the video. But anyway, um, she moved me to West Cornell, Connecticut to live with my grandmother. And I lived there for about five years. And um, I didn't have my father. I didn't have my mothers. And I have no brothers and sisters. So I had nobody. And basically, my grandmother worked seven days a week. She worked five days a week at the welfare department and two days at the Emporium coffee shop flipping burgers. So I just basically raised myself. You know, I wasn't... Um, I had some friends, you know, we hang around and stuff, but I had nobody like at home. You know what I mean? Right. So um, you're like a latchkey kid. Yeah. Basically come home and there was nobody there. She had 25 cats though and two dogs. And my mother had bought me a horse to kind of compensate her not being there. So um, that's a lot of cats. It's a lot of cats, dude. They were indoor and outdoor cats, but uh, I, you know, it was a, it was it wasn't. I can't complain. It wasn't a bad uh, childhood. I did a lot of fishing. You know, it was, it was a it was a great place. Um, I didn't have to get all of this. I didn't have a bike at first. You know, you know how kids always have a bike, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, t I was there from uh, like the age of I think nine, ten, eleven, twelve, whatever, eight, whatever. And um, one Christmas, she buys me a Peugeot ten-speed bike. But says that I can't ride it till I'm 16. So she brings it to Connecticut, gives this it to is your mom. mom, my mom. Okay, and then and then brings it back to New York. At 16, you want a car, you don't want a fucking Peugeot 10 speed. Right. I mean, she'd visit me once a year, you know, more or less. You know, she was not, she was never made to be a mother at all. But she was trying to put off-Broadway shows together and all this other bullshit she was trying to do. You know, she'd come up to visit me with a, a director. His name was Emilio Bruzzo. He was an Italian guy. He was a director and whatever, you know. The next thing that happened that was a major thing in my life, the house burnt down. There was an electrical fire in the house, and I woke up at uh, 5 in the morning, and there was smoke throughout the house. And I tried to go down the staircase and it was just a, just the smoke coming up and I could see all the cats are basically dead already. And I, you know, banged on her door, said, look, we, we got to get up. We got to get out of here. Luckily she had just rented the lower part on the up, you know, behind the house to a guy named Nathan who was able to put a ladder up so I could get out. But what happened was when, she went to get out 
from the upper stair down. He opened the door to the bottom of the um, the downstairs, and the flames came up and reached to her. And she fell off the ladder, broke back, and got all burnt. It was a mess. And uh, she ended up being in the hospital for quite a while. And I ended up living with some friends from school for, I don't know, a year or so. And um, my mother didn't even visit me for that. You know, all the dogs got killed. The horse, uh, the um, the uh, cats got killed, and but the horse was fine. You know, he was outside. But um, I used to I used to have a paper route also back then. I delivered on you know five in the morning the uh, Waterbury Republican, and I would do it on the weekends on horseback. So it's kind of cool. On horseback. Yeah, it was kind of Pony Expressious. You know, Bro, how old are you? <laughs> I was uh, 11, 11 that time, 12, 11, 12. So after that, my mother finally gets some money from her mother who had saved money. She she was in the vaudeville way back, you know, you know, vaudeville in the 20s. Yeah. So she had saved up the money and she um, was going to live with us in a place called Wilton, Connecticut. And she rented this beautiful house on a lake. That owned, was owned at the time by Lillian and Russell Hoban, who were cartoonists. They did cartoon things for kids, books, right? And they were going through Europe. So the house was being rented at the time for like a thousand bucks, which this is 1973, roughly. So this is, I guess, the market price at that time. So we moved there and my... I call him my stepfather, but he was never married to my mother. His name is Bill Solon. Bill was a brilliant guy, a really brilliant guy. He had gotten a scholarship to Harvard University in 1959. Now, the way the scholarships work, there are two, one for male, Harvard, and the other one for female, Radcliffe. And he won in 1959. So this guy was really brilliant, but he was a bit of a savant. He couldn't drive. All he wanted to do was handicap racehorses. And he had been in the CIA, right? So he's smart as a whip. CIA grabs him up, and I had always asked him, you know, what did you do in the CIA? And he said, basically, I would brief bomber pilots before they went on their bombing rates for, you know, during Vietnam. But all his friends were Air America. You know, and I know I don't know if you know what Air America is. They were bringing all the drugs into the country through the CIA. Right. So I learned later. I didn't know then at 12 years old. So but I learned later all his friends are basically Air America guys. So this is what happened to me at the age of 12, 13. Get a little of this. He's a massive gambler. Didn't hold a job other than bartending every now and then. All his money would go to, you know, bet on horses. So my mother would work as a waitress, whatever, and I would work too. I was working as a as a dishwasher at a place called the Chaucer House in, in Maryland stuff. But anyway, what happened was the circle of friends he ran around with was a guy named Bob Setner, Jack Harrington, Jackie Kilcullen, and a guy named Manny Gambino. Okay. Now, all of them were in debt, bad debt. And Manny Gambino was kind of like the black sheep of the family, I guess, for the Gambino family. 
And he said, he came up with the idea, why don't we do this? Look, let's say that you guys kidnap me. And then what we'll do is we'll ask the family for money. We'll, you know, we'll blackmail the family. And they thought it was a great idea. Seems like a good idea. What could go wrong? <laughs> so they start with the letters and the phone calls. And, and you know, this is this is 1973-ish, 4-ish, something like that. I don't know, I forget the date. But so they started in with that. And to make a long story short, what happens is two weeks later, uh, Manny Gambino was found in the trunk of a car at LaGuardia Airport with, you know, he's shot to death. So, I don't understand. What do you mean shot to death? I thought they kidnapped him. Oh, they kidnapped him, but he ends up in the trunk of a car in LaGuardia. They were his friend. He came up with the idea. So, what? What the family not want to pay for to get? No, something, something happened. Something else happened. We don't know. Now, years later, I, I in investigating what you know what what happened. Two things happened. One thing is a name a guy named Eddie O'Brien was said to have killed uh, Manny Gambino, which doesn't make sense because O'Brien is Irish and Gambino, of course, Italian. So I don't know what the connection was there. That's one article. And it said that John Gotti had killed O'Brien. That's why he got to be the head of the family, right? The okay. second thing is I heard, I not heard, but read that Bob Setner had actually killed Manny gave me an over an argument. Whatever. I don't know. I was 12, 13, whatever it is. So my mother was always ushering me out of the, out of the living room to get away from the TV because, you know, it was all over the place. It was on the TV. It was, it was, you know, on the news and whatever. So he gets eventually sentenced. Uh, Bill does to three years in prison does a year and a half at Allenwood Penitentiary up in Pennsylvania. Now I went to visit him one time and I remember penitentiaries were not like the way they are now. He said that he couldn't walk past this yellow line. And at the time, penitentiaries are not like that today. So it must have been kind of, I think, like a campish kind of thing, a lower camp. I don't know what it was, but that's what I remember at the time. Uh, well, Bob's I, mean, I, you know, I was in the medium and they have all it's, you know, you've heard the, the song, like walking the line. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, and there's basically like in the medium, there was a red line in certain spots. You just couldn't pass it. Like this right. is one place inmates don't go past this line. It's funny at the time he was in prison with the, uh, with the Watergate guys, Magruder, uh, okay. e. Howard Hunt. Nice. Oh, those guys. And um, E. Howard Hunt, I don't know if you know, if you've studied the JFK assassination, he was part of that, too. He was <laughs> deep inside yeah. of that. Let's, let's <laughs> stick with you. Let's stick with So, <clears throat> so anyway, he gets, he gets sentenced to three years and does a year and a half. Um, so does uh, Jack Harrington. And uh, Bob Setner gets sentenced to 15 years, does three years. And they try to poison him in prison, supposedly with hot cocoa. So I don't know who tried to poison him, but the mob, I guess, somehow. But um, 
Bob Center was always good to me. I mean, he always got me rock concert tickets and stuff. It was, you know, I love the guy. He was great. I mean, he got me Kiss tickets and Aerosmith tickets and, you know, he, Earth, Wind & Fire. Everything I wanted to see, he would get it. So he was cool to me. So from then, Bill gets out and um, we have to move because actually my what my mom did was uh, – to kind of hide me was she uh, was able to like smash the car, collect some insurance, and she immediately put me in an Eastern Military Academy in Huntington, Long Island. So I lived on this. It was the former estate of Otto Kahn, who was a big, you know, like Council for Relations guy, kind of like a rough Rockefeller kind of guy. But um, he. Uh, he, I guess he sold his place to this, uh, you know, to the military academy, and we, I was living there for a year. Um, but she couldn't pay it all the time. So, I mean, she ran out of money, and uh, so they kind of kicked me out. We ended up being homeless in New York in the wintertime, which is fucking freezing, if you don't know. We were living in a car in a Rambler in the station wagon, and... Um, so then she, I don't know how she did it, but she got more money and then was able to put me back. So I lived, I continued living there at the, there at the, at the military school. So then the year was up. My cousin was the living, was, was there too. He went, his name was Richard. He was the most obnoxious asshole you could ever meet. I mean, even his sisters, um, who were my cousins, Lorraine and Allison couldn't take him. I mean, we all kind of said, look, when we grow up, we don't ever want to talk to this fucking asshole again. Richard is not going to be part of our life in any way. He's you remember just Paul. Paul who? Paul what? Kakalataka Puss. What's his name? You know, Paul in, in prison. The name sounds familiar. With the bald head. He was there for kidnapping somebody. What about him? Was he more obnoxious than him? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jeez, this guy was intolerable. I mean, Paul was uh, super. Oh, yeah, no, Richard was, was too way much. Way worse. Of, yeah, oh, yeah, way worse. Well, so, so but, no, I was man. Say, like, when do you graduate high school? Like, when, you know, you're. Oh, I'm not even there yet. <laughs> we I, I, moved, I, okay. We moved, we, we moved around because she thought the way they were thinking was the mob was going to come and kill us. I mean. She didn't know what the hell was going to happen. So she had to get rid of me, like put me in school, put me somewhere where nobody knew who I really was or whatever, you know, and because my name was still Goddard. It wasn't Marrero, you know. Right. So. And my father was still looking for me. I, I don't know. He, he, he gave up after seven years. So I don't know. I guess he wasn't looking for me anymore. But um, from there. We went to New Jersey. We lived in Bergen County, New Jersey, a place called Westwood. Boring. God, it was horrible. And I remember, um, let's see, The Exorcist had just come out then. How old were you then, Matt? <laughs> the Exorcist? Uh, uh, Exorcist. Exorcist. Um, 1974, five? I would have been five. Yeah. Five? Five or six. <laughs> yeah. And from after that, let's see. We moved from uh, Paul, Bill was getting out, so we were 
he had to be next to a racetrack. So we moved to Laurel, Maryland, because they hold the Preakness there. You know, it, it's biblical racetrack. So we moved to Laurel, Maryland, <clears throat> and I got a job as, as, as a, a dishwasher at a restaurant. My mother got a job as a waitress, and um, so he could, you know, do his gambling. And uh, he, uh, I don't know, he's back, just to move back real quick, there was a place in between, I don't know where it was, if it was Laurel or where, where he had supposed to have been taking this money from this guy to, to bet on these particular horses and he didn't bet on those horses. He bet on his own horses. Right. And the horse won and the other guy's horse won. And so we had to fucking get out of town again. It was crazy, man. It was just, it's hard to have any kind of high school or, or any kind of school when you're constantly like leaving because the mobs after you or somebody's after you. So, and in anyway, I think that's how we ended up in Laurel, Maryland. And I ended up there for a while. And um, I was, I think, 16 by now, 17, something like that. And my mother wanted to take me to Europe, right? So we were going to go to Europe and we were all excited. I was going to take my classes early, all my, all my you know, uh, tests and everything. And, and everything was going to be cool. Well, at the last minute, she couldn't go. She didn't have enough money to do it. So I took what little money I had, which was $500 at the time, and I went to Europe. So she, Because she, she had already bought the tickets. She, could, she couldn't get a refund. So I said, look, I took my classes early, my, my, my tests early. I told everybody in my classes I'm going to Europe. I got to go to freaking Europe. So I have a backpack, and I go to Europe. And I go for six weeks and I backpack all through London. I went to, uh, I landed in Heathrow airport. I went to London for a while. I saw the queen silver Jubilee. And from there I went to, uh, Dover, took the cat to the, uh, whatever the boat is to Calais, France. And from there I went to, uh, Monte Carlo, Monaco, I mean, Paris first. And then I went to, uh, Monaco and Monte Carlo. It's the first time I ever saw naked women on a beach. I was like, yeah, I like this place. This is fucking cool. Pre-internet? <laughs> Way pre-internet. Yeah. And then, uh, <clears throat> let's see, what happened? Uh, I went to Spain, Italy, ran out of money in Italy. Fun, funniest thing is she had a friend in, uh, in Rome named Cesare Rotundi who was able to give me money to get back to England to get my plane, you know, to get, uh, to get back home. But I took an interrail pass, you know, took a, took a train around, you know, those countries and then made it back home, took the wrong flight home, but at least I, I got home and, um, it was quite a trip. And when I got back, um, it was August right around, let's see, yeah, it was, uh, July. July I got back and the next month Elvis Presley died, August. 1977. <laughs> I'm sure so, that had nothing to do with you. No. I wouldn't feel bad about it. So then we were totally out of money in every way. I mean, Bill wasn't working. She couldn't continue working. It wasn't willing to work or something. And, and she would just kept on doing this. You know, I, if I were only uh, in California and I could do this show and constantly, you know, Sophia Loren and this and that, whatever. And, and I said, look, you know what? 
do your thing. I'm going to get a job at the Pimlico Racetrack. I'm gonna, and I became a hot walker for about six months, eight months, something like that. I quit school and became a hot walker. And um, a hot walker is the guy who walks the horses when they come off the racetrack, you know, if they've been exercising in the morning. So you're up from a five in the morning and you're exercising uh, the horses and, and until the race starts, I think like 12 o'clock, one o'clock, whatever it is. And then you, you take those horses and you walk them and you're freaking walking all day long. Every day it's exhausting till six o'clock at night. And I was living right there on the racetrack above the horses. And there was nothing in the room, but me and a, and a cot with a bottle lamp. It was a huge room. And, um, so I, I just, I did that for about, I don't know, six months, seven months till the school year started again. And, um, then I went back to school and, um, they decided they're going to move because they were just broke completely. They, she was going to keep her promise that the letter that she had sent to my grandmother back when I was four saying, you're going to meet him again with it when he's 18. I was just about to be turning 18. So they decided to move to South Florida. So I met my father they came down here and, uh, I met my father when I was 18 and I had long hair and glasses, man. I was like in my Led Zeppelin days, you know what I'm saying? If you guys didn't know, I also do, I do paintings. And uh, if you're interested in a painting, I'm going to leave my contact information in the description beneath the video. Back to the video. So he was like bald and... <laughs> Never, never, you know, had seen me before. You know, last time he saw me, I was four or five years old. And um, so first thing I did was get a haircut, you know, and get contact lenses because I had glasses at the time, you know, and big, thick glasses. And um, so we were trying to assimilate our relationship a little bit and just, I guess, you know, get it together a little bit, but it, it was, it was working, but it wasn't working. You know what I mean? It was like, we were so different in, in certain ways. You know, I was more Americanized and he was more Cuban. And he was, you know, he had a rough time learning English, big, real rough time. And, um, you know, so he had been, been remarried to a girl named Lily and, um, Lily had come from a very, uh, high-end family in Colombia. Her father had started Avianca Airlines and um, he died really young when he was like 35, something like that, of a heart attack. And the uncle stole the business from her and her mother and left him basically penniless. So that's another story. I don't really know all of it about, but um Back to Ida real quick. Ida had married a guy named Tito Puente, which you don't know the name if you're not Spanish, but Tito Puente was a big band leader. And he wrote the song, Oye Como Va, by, uh, you know, Santana did it. Oye Como Va. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he had written that song and a few others, but he was a big band leader. So she married him and, uh, you know, she was like a real good friend of me, to me. And uh, she, you know, she, I call her all the time from prison. She ended up dying while I was in prison, but she was in her eighties. But, uh, you know, my mother died early. My mother died when I got, when they, when she came down here 
she died when she was like 56. I was 21. I did some modeling at the time, you know, made her. I, I remember that you didn't you weren't you a model or something like that? Or yeah, I was a model. I was trying to uh, study acting and stuff. But acting was for me, I, I didn't like it as much. I like uh, screenwriting. I took a two year course from a Hollywood Script Writing Institute and how to write motion pictures. And I liked that a lot better. It's, it's just getting it financed after that is, is really, you know, the hard stuff. But, um, you know, it is what it is. But but writing was kind of, it was fun. I, I liked it, but I just haven't kept up with it. I had like 13 screenplays, but I lost most of them. A friend of mine, uh, Marcella, she has, um, I think, like five of them that she was able to keep, you know. But, um, but that's right. it. You know, when I was 21... Let's see. I uh, when I was twenty, actually, uh, Lily got me a job at the Omni Hotel, working at a, a disco. Disco was hot at that time. I mean, nineteen seventy nine, eighty. Yeah, yeah, disco was pumping, dude. I mean, Saturday Night Live had just come out with, uh, you know, John Travolta and, and, and whatever, and Donna Summer was hot. And man, it was, it was fun, and the women were beautiful and freaking gorgeous. You know, it was it was just, uh, it, you know. The 80s were the 80s. But you were in, in Miami. Yeah, I was in Miami now. And um, discovering women, you know, really for the first time, you know, and it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. <laughs> so, yeah. well, okay, so then what, um, so what happened then? What, what, was the, what was the first time, come on, you got in trouble? Oh, that is until I'm a 28. Well, let me let me build up to that. Okay. Um, all right. So disco is pumping, and then it's not. <laughs> it's like it went up, and boom! One day they got rid of uh, the scare. The place I worked at was a place called Scaremouche. I was the laser light operator, and um, it became a comedy club. And it's like dead everything was dead after uh let's see it was 1982 and i got a hot dog cart and i sold hot dogs for four years from 1982 I remember this i remember you saying the hot dog cart and yeah. then there was an issue with like where you were at or something or they yeah the license or something or they changed the laws and they made it so um you had to constantly move the hot dog cart around, which was impossible. It was a thousand pound machine. You can't do that at night. You know, I was, I was there at night and I sold in front of a place called Casanova's, which was a, you know, a, a, a disco. It continued on as, as a nightclub. And, um, I would sold, I would sell from five, uh, from, uh, 11 o'clock at night to five o'clock in the morning. So there was nothing open. I mean, if you come right out of the disco, you have to, you know, you're starving. You want to, not have to go to Denny's and pay a tip and all that stuff. You get a quick hot dog and a soda and you go home. So I did that for four years. And um, I don't know if you know South Florida at all, but at the time there was no I-75. There was no 595. There was no Sawgrass Mall. There was no, the only thing out in the, in certain, certain part of the West, there was only C.B. Smith Park and a place called the Sportatorium. So everything else was a place that you could go to go mudding, which is like, you know, you take a motorcycle out and, you know, you have yeah. fun and all that. And I would go out there one time a week and sell hot dogs and, you know, sell out and then go back and do Casanovas at night. So what happened was 
I had developed, I was making like 35,000 a year roughly, not that much, but it was not good, I guess, at that time. And I'd gotten a truck on credit. But then my stepmother needed a car. She wanted a car. So I got, I signed a car for her. So she got a car. Then two friends of mine need, need a vehicle. They said, can you get, help me get a vehicle? So I helped another one get a Honda CRX SI. Pretty sure this is a straw man. This is what no, they no, call no, being no. a straw man scam. No, 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 no. That's nothing to do with that. No, I, I no, no, not, not a straw man. But when you start financing vehicles for other people in your name because you have good credit, they they call that run, they call that a straw man scam. Yeah, but it's 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 not the straw man thing you're thinking of that I that I will explain no, to I you. Know. I'm sure. <laughs> and the other guy wanted a ninja six hundred motorcycle. So, so you've got, got four me. cars and a bike in your name. Yeah. So I got my truck, my uh stepmother Lily, she got a uh, VW Cabriolet at the time, which was a cool car. A Honda CRXSI and a Ninja 600 motorcycle. Now, something happened to everybody's life at one point or another where they can't afford to pay these things. <laughs> so it would end up back in my lap. And so now I'm 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 you know, I'm losing a the business because I'm a I've been doing it for four years and I'm tired and they're changing the laws on me. So I guess it's time to move on. And I had already been doing foreclosures for a while in real estate. I, I knew foreclosures really well. And what do you mean doing foreclosures? Uh, finding property. I had been finding uh, properties with a guy named Julio Gonzalez for about a couple of years. And we had in one year, we we did 14 houses, you know, that he bought. And then uh, but he fucked me out of all of them because I didn't know enough to get an attorney and get a contract. And then, you know, I was still young. I was 20, 21, 22, 23, something like that. But um, learned a lot. But uh, with foreclosures, I had learned when a property is really not being occupied. It's really left. The people have gone. And this other guy latched on to me. His name was Abner Arce. And he just, he didn't know what I knew and he just fucked it up and he was driving. Oh, I also had a BMW at the time. Forgot to tell you that. <laughs> Those five <laughs> So anyway, what we would do is, what I was doing anyway was I could find the, 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 the foreclosures in the list pendant stage. In, in Florida, there's list pendant default and final judgment. So I find them in the list pendant stage. I would do my due diligence to try and find the person. But if I couldn't find them, they were either dead or they went back to Columbia or they were whatever. I would jimmy the door, open it, see how badly it was inside, do main, minor repairs or fixes and put it for rent. So that does not sound illegal at all. So if you collect first, last, and security, you know, let's say rent is whatever, eight hundred a month, and you, you know, times three, you, you know, you do ten of them a month, you're pulling in pretty good, you know. Renting out other people's houses. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm with you. I'm with you. I like it. I feel like it's illegal, but I'm okay with that. Go ahead. So how'd that work? Out. So. Abner did not know, and I, you know, I would tell him, 
what properties are good and which, which are not. And you don't fuck with a property that's very nicely done and repaired. And he did. And he got us on, in trouble because he was driving my car. Everything led back to me. So that was the first thing. Um, because he... I, I wasn't sentenced to anything but probation because I had never done anything before. You know, I didn't, I'm not into drugs and alcohol and all that bullshit. I, I don't, I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't do alcohol and uh, drugs. I mean, so none of that was my thing. Um, so I was given probation for, I think it was two years. And um, after that, let's see, what was the next thing I did? What does it see? 25 years, 25 years went by. <laughs> and a friend of mine, Jose, had hooked me up with a, a, a property foreclosure in uh, Hidden Bay, which is Aventura, which is on the top floor. It was going to foreclosures. It, it was 40th floor, could see the ocean, could see the bay and everything. And um, one day he says, you know, I got this guy who does what's, uh, you know, the checks for corporations. And for multiple corporations, it's a company called ADP or something like that. ATP. Oh, yeah, yeah, ADP. ADP. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They do uh, payroll taxes. Or and payroll. They, also, they always have a, a surplus of cash. And he said, um, <laughs> he said they, don't, I, they don't need it. I got, I got my guy on the inside. And he says, he can write you a check. All you got to do is cash it. And we, uh, you know, we, we, we split, uh, whatever. So reasonable. <laughs> I try that and I get busted because the checks are too big. I think each check was like 40, no, the, uh, 20,000 and 20,000 was two checks. I tried so to didn't cash them. Yeah. He, he wanted me to cash them at a check cashing place. So I said, okay, yeah. I'd rather have deposited in my account, but he, he wanted to do it at the cash, cash, uh, check check cashing place so anyway i get busted and i uh so i understand like when you say you get busted did the cops show up like are you sitting there waiting for your cash and the cops walk yeah. in and grab you yeah check cashing place called the cops right away you believe that couldn't believe it and i was charged with uttering yeah so I do, let's see, because I hadn't done anything in 25 years, you know, so I did, uh, what I do, a year of probation. But uh, during that time, I had, oh, man, I didn't tell you about the DTC. Oh, that's a great one. All right, let me tell you about the DTC. What does DTC mean? Depository Trust Company. They're in uh, New York City. They're at 55 Water Street. They're in the same building you actually get your QSIP numbers from. Okay, we'll talk about that. They do, How's that they work? Do, they, well, they do settlements for multi-million dollar, you know, countries and companies around the world. I mean, into the quadrillion dollars, all right? But what we had gotten was uh, the actual routing number to their account. And what you do is you take the back of the social, right? And on the back of the social has a letter and eight numbers. And that letter is a routing number to a Federal Reserve Bank. The letters, I mean, the numbers are an account. So what we did was, what I did was actually was take the numbers from the back of my social, put it 
as the account number with the routing number of the DTC. You can look up DTC. It's they're huge. So we. How did you know to do this, and why did you think? Like oh. what? What? gave you the inclination to look at your social security card and just decide, Hey, I think that this is a routing number to a, an account or a bank. Like, why did you think that? What? Well, it's on the internet. You can look it up. You, the, the routing numbers on your back, you look on the back of the social and it'll give you the list of all the federal reserve uh, banks that they are. Okay. What I'm saying to you is why did you think that? Did you just suddenly bam, it just popped in no, your head? Or we, had conference head some... calls. we had those sovereignty conference calls all the time. Okay. So it was a sovereignty. <laughs> you skipped that. So, so, so this is the, the sovereign citizen. What is a sovereign citizen? Well, it's either you're an economic slave or you're a, uh, uh, you know, sovereign to the government. You, you, you either are an economic slave or, or you're not. I mean, you got to It's where your elite. You want your allegiance to be. See, if you're a U.S. citizen, the U.S. is actually a federal corporation. If you look up United States Code Title Twenty Eight, Section Three Zero Zero Two, Subsection Fifteen A, says the United States is a is a is a corporation. And you being a citizen of it makes you an employee of that corporation. Believe it or not, so you don't want to be that. It makes you a slave within the system. It's like being a slave to McDonald's. You know, it, it, it's 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 not where you want to be. So you want to be separate and a sovereign from that. But anyway, let me tell you what happened with the DTC. So I made out checks, and the checks dude would clear like that. I wrote my friend Adrian Hines a check for ten thousand dollars on a Friday night. By Saturday morning, nine o'clock, it had cleared. I was like, what the fuck? And, um, but the thing was, and we were doing ACH for cars, you know, get, get paying the cars off ACH. And, um, what does that mean? ACH means it's done over the phone. They don't actually get a check or anything like that. You're doing it over the phone through ACH. Right. They actually create their own check. Yeah. Right. So, because this is a long time ago. You know, you don't do that now. Like, no, but I remember this my, 2005, roughly. Right. So, like, I used to have a lease payment with like Audi, right? Um, it was actually, the, it was Volkswagen. It was Audi. It was for my Audi, but it was through Volkswagen because Volkswagen owns Audi at that time. And they would, you know, like, if it was due on the first, like, if they didn't have to check by the first, they'd call me up and say, hey, do you want to just pay it over the phone? And I'd say, yes. And all I had to do was say, was given my routing number and everything. They kept it on file and they'd call me back on like the third or second or third and say, Hey, and, it, and what I realized was they were just creating a check and doing a phone verification for my, my signature. And then they were depositing it because I hadn't mailed the check yet. So, because that's what you're talking about as far as that. So you are making these checks, right. or, but you're, you're doing it over the phone and giving them this routing number. They're creating the checks and then paying for things. Right. And we got the titles of the car in the mail like a week later. So the cars were paid off. These were for, you know, friends of mine that I knew. So, but the problem was <clears throat> everything would start reversing like a month later. Except Best Buys. And I think it's because they have the same transfer agent. I'm not quite sure. There are a couple of times where things did not reverse. 
and we, you know, was able to keep the stuff. It was, it was, you know, it was pretty fun. It was <laughs> until, until we try to buy a property for $6.3 million. And then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, secret service called the, uh, title company and said, what, what, what's going on here? What are you doing? And that's where we decided to stop. I never got arrested for that though. Never, never, you know, nothing happened with that. Um, so what well, they do with the title company call you guys and say, Hey, the secret service just called us and you just walked away and never went back. <laughs> yeah. Never Change your phone number, stopped answering calls, picked up and moved. But we did get some cool stuff, you know, got some stuff at Best Buy, you know, two uh, washer dryers and things like that. And just, you know, went a little, spent like five, $6,000 there. It's small stuff, you know, but it was fun. All right, so this is one I, I want to get to because I think it, it all kind of derives from um, the uh, the sovereign citizen thing. When did you he- first hear about what a sovereign citizen was and that the United States was a corporation? That you know, when did you hear about all this and and how did that happen? Like, how did you get into that? Because you um, skated over that. Well, I, I actually, I, let's see. I knew <clears throat> back when I was uh, selling hot dogs, a, a cop had given me a book called Non-Dare Call a Conspiracy by Gary Allen because I had cops that were my customers at selling hot dogs. And I read in the – it was incredible. It, I mean it's a thin book, but the, the information it was incredible. And it said basically one of the things that it doesn't matter who you vote for. Um, Democrat or Republican, because they're both groomed by the Council on Foreign Relations and the Trilateral Commission. So it doesn't matter who it is. It's a one-party system. And it's really from there, from I think I was 22, 23, that I started really seeing the world differently than I used to. I only voted once, and that's for Ronald Reagan. I didn't vote for anybody else after that. It was all, it's all, it's all, it's all a TV movie. You know, it's all a show. It's a movie. So, but to answer your question, it wasn't until, let's see, when was it? I learned about the straw man thing about 2004. That's when I really started learning about the sovereignty stuff. And, and, and uh, you know, the straw man is basically your name in capital letters sounds like you, but it's not you. It's a corporate fiction that they created birth. You are a vessel on the sea of commerce and basically, your house is a ship in dry dock. Sounds crazy, I know, but the, see, a court cannot bring a corporation. Court cannot bring another individual into court. They can only bring another corporation officially. So they make you a corporate fiction, and you are dead to the court. Your 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 name, capital letters, is a vessel. It's not you. Your name, you, you, the living man, or lowercase. Okay, so this is the the um, idea that uh, like your social security number and your birth certificate and everything is all in capital letters. Driver's license, why when passport. passport, everything the government issues is in capital letters because that somehow <laughs> means that they're they're designating you as a corporation or a corporate entity. Correct. Correct. Okay. And then, as I think I showed you when we were both in prison, is that uh, they take your court case and you know they add QCIP numbers to it, just like your your birth certificate. You you are traded. Your birth certificate is a stock certificate that they trade. 
And uh, like in court, when you first go to prison, you know, get arrested, you want to bond out. So they give you a bond and they add to that in appearance bonds, your appearance bonds and things. And they add to that what's called a bid bond, performance bond and payment bond. They pull all these bonds together, they securitize them and they sell them as asset backed securities on the stock market, which are later connected to REITs, which are real estate investment trusts, mutual funds, governments, construction loans, things like that. So It's, I found my QSUB numbers, my major uh, QSUB number and my minor QSUB numbers. Uh, basically, Fidelity is trading my major QSUB number. And what they do is when you first are brought into court, they ask you which way do you plead. So there's honor and dishonor. If you're going to stay in honor, you're going to say guilty. But you're going to be guilty of the facts, but not the crime. See, all crimes are commercial under 27 CFR 72.11. All crimes are commercial. Well, if they're commercial, that means they're civil. Then what are we doing in a criminal court? So when you say you're not guilty, you're actually saying, I'm not going to pay for the for the thing that I uh, uh, I broke. Let's say you because you broke a statute and code. Statutes and codes are not laws. They are actually uh, copyrighted opinions. So a statute is a bond. And these bonds, what they do is they have a bank that bids on these bond, these uh, these uh, not guilty pleas. So you have the, the bank bidding on your plea. Then you have an insurance company underwriting the performance of that. So they give them a performance bond. It's crazy, dude. I mean, what they're doing is just so much fraud because it's not in your discovery what they're doing. None of this is, was in your discovery. No. So, okay. Well, so, okay. You explain that. Let's go back to, so now you said that that was, you did the thing with the checks uh, and then the C secret service had shown up. And then you had gone back to that. We were, you were back around 20. Well, they didn't show up. They didn't show up. They just made a phone call. Well, <laughs> they didn't show up because you weren't there. <laughs> Trust me. They, I, I know not to be there when they show up. Like, but I, I they showed up somewhere. <laughs> so at some point, I'm pretty sure they went to there. And they, somebody stopped by and said, look. Now, the reason I went to federal prison is that what you want to get to now? Um, I mean, I, I think the buildup to wondering how, how did that happen? Like, how old were you? Oh, uh, 52. Yeah, that was old. I mean, I'm saying when you were in your 30s, when you had initially started doing these things, like, like, status, like, you started initially down this path of being a sovereign citizen. And like the thing with the judge, the one time where you made. Well, no, in my 30s was 1990 to 2000. So I wasn't doing it in my 30s. I was doing it in my 40s. I would, in 2004 um, is when I was 44, roughly. So that's when it started. And um, when it, you really kind of realize things aren't as they seem. <laughs> things are different than what you think they are. Right. So. I mean, as far as the government, as far as um, uh, yeah. then you're, you've, you're the concept of that they're there's borrowing a money. 
There's a uh, difference between the United States of America and the United States. It's two separate corporations. United States of America was a de jure republic incorporated in 1787. You got the United States, which was incorporated just after the Civil War. All right. And the United States is a fascist corporate military democracy, which is the worst form of government before you have total tyranny, which is what you're seeing now. They want to set up a totalitarian state. So you don't want to be a U.S. citizen. You want to go back to the de jure republic, and that's what you want to be as a sovereign. You want to go back to the de jure republic of the United States of America. Now, when they have on your indictment, it says United States of America versus Matthew Cox, right? That United States of America is owned by Payne Weber, which is now UBS. But it's a corporation used within the court system. My court, I found out, was on, was on Dun and Bradstreet. So that means they have, they have constituencies. They have, they have a board of directors that want a profit. It's a company. Okay. It's such a fucking scam, man. It's incredible. It has nothing to do with it. Has nothing to do with federal anything. It's like the Federal Reserve Bank. It's not a bank. It has no reserves. It's not federal. It's a private corporation. Right. And, and the Titanic didn't sink it. And that's a whole different thing. <laughs> that's a whole different show. <laughs> I saw the movie. Yeah, but they switched it. They switched it with the Olympic. The Olympic was another boat. Yeah. And that had, that boat had already had accidents and everything. And JP Morgan had invited uh, uh, John, what's his name? John Zucker, Guggenheim, Benjamin Guggenheim. And all these people were against the Federal Reserve. Right. Okay. So he invited him on this initial trip of the so-called Titanic. But they switched it at the last. From the Olympic to the Titanic, they switched the names and everything that needed to go on the Titanic was not the Titanic. It was the Olympic because he, he upped the insurance of it. And if, if you look in your computer right now, go to Google, look at who owned the White Star Line, who created the Titanic. And it was J.P. Morgan. <laughs> He's a slick motherfucker, boy. All right. So, so he needed to get rid of his enemies. This was 1912. And guess what happened in 1913? Federal Reserve Bank is goes right through. Not a problem. Those bastards. <laughs> and they did yeah. it during Christmas time. Nobody was there. So let's go back to, so what happened with your case? Like you were approached by somebody where you, like you said, in your 40s, you started getting into the whole sovereignty thing. and Yeah, but th that's not why I went to prison. The reason I went to prison is this. Um, I got caught up in a conspiracy of commingling. Okay, so basically. What were you doing? Telemarketing. Telemarketing. I, well, telemarketing. <laughs> telemarketing. Like, I just call people. No, you got to go to jail. And it, was, it wasn't that many phone calls. It was, it was maybe 35, 35, 40 phone calls I did, maybe. And what were you guys doing? What was the setup? What was the whole thing? I'll, I'll, I'll say, I'm getting to that. Tim Turner had a, uh, a seminar. And one of the things in the seminar were regarding 10990 IDs. Ironically, I ended up in prison with Tim Turner at Oakdale. 
Nice. <laughs> Hotel Louisiana. <laughs> anyway, he had done a seminar, and a bunch of us, this was at 2008, right around the housing bubble. Remember that when everything collapsed yeah. and went kaput, right? Yeah. So everybody was losing their homes, and everybody knew that, you know, I knew stuff about foreclosures, and I also knew a lot about telemarketing because I'd been a telemarketer. Right. And um, this friend of mine, Mike Bider, who is now doing 24 years, and David Klum asked me if, you know, I would do some telemarketing for them. I said, sure, why not? You know, I knew, I knew them from church and stuff, you know. So the way it works is they're basically doing a 1099 OID on your checking account. See, because everything you, you write into existence um, is basically a check, a promissory note. If you write for a house or for a car or student loan, anything it is, a promissory note on a UCC 3-104 is basically a check. It's a draft. And what the bank does is they take that, they deposit it into an account, then they fractionalize it anywhere from 9 to 18 times. So that house that you close on is actually paid for at closing. They get you into what's called a secondary <laughs> unconscionable statute stable contract called the mortgage. Mortgage comes from the Latin word mortua, which means death. It's where we get our word for mortal, morbid, mortuary, mortician. Mortgage is a death pledge. So the bank is getting into getting you into death pledge where that house is already paid for closing. So we were getting that money back for people using a 1099 OID. OID stands for original issue discount. And you have to do an 8281 form to find out who the actual grantor is of the actual documentation. So I don't know. We had an IRS enrolled agent. I don't know if she did that 8281 form because you have to have that 8281 form to go with the 1099 OID all the time. So anyway, these people were getting checks back, million dollars, $500,000, two million dollars, whatever. The spouse would get it, would say, oh my God, okay, million dollars. I get, let me go down to the bank and cash it. They go back, they go down to the bank and cash it. And that's how we got caught up in a conspiracy of commingling because those were private credits and you can't mix private credits with public funds. Okay. So wait, let's go back. So one day you're working a telemarketing firm, right? Telemarketing company, you're, you're, well, no, I was I was working actually doing uh, some real estate for you know some some folks to help them out doing saving their homes and stuff like that. Okay, well, and somebody comes to you and says, "Hey, there's this guy. What's his name? Who's doing a seminar?" Tim Turner. Tim Turner. So you go to the seminar with some of your buddies, some guys yep. that also are are they also believe like the whole sovereign citizen thing? Are these just friends? Or are these just like? Who tells you about the seminar? Who tells me about the seminar? I don't remember. This is 2000 fucking fuck. 
2002. I don't know. I have no okay. idea. So you go to the seminar. There's what, 20 people there? 50? Oh, they're about 50. Yeah. Okay. So 50 people. And Ted gets up and he explains. Tim. Yeah. Tim, damn it. Tim gets up and he explains about the uh, the 1099 uh, OID. OID. And he explains the whole thing and says, look, you know, when people borrow money from Bank of America to, to buy a house, Bank of America turns around and fractionalizes that mortgage and sells it for way more than was ever borrowed. Something along those lines. Right. Like it's extremely complicated what you're saying. Well, well he, he didn't just explain it. I mean, it's well known. I mean, they, they don't lend any money. If you read, I, I, if you listen, know. well, listen, if you, all right, write this down. <laughs> I want you to look up the affidavit of Walker Todd. Walker Todd is an attorney for the Federal Reserve Bank, and he states basically that banks do not lend money. Okay? I, I remember this because um, I remember you talking about it. You actually had like, the, I think you had the actual letter or something. It was in a book. Or right. Something. Hold on. I think it's a halfway house calling me. Okay. No, it's not. It's somebody else. Hello? Anyway. Yeah, it, um, yeah, I had it in a book. I don't know. If, I don't think you read it, though, but, no. but. No, but you had it. I remember you talking about it and showing it and saying. Right. And it was. Um, they can't as- loan money of their depositors and they can't loan money of the original investors. So where's the money come from? You know what I mean? They can't, they legally cannot loan the money. Well, okay. So let's, because that's going to be in, insanity here. So I mean, it, that, this is another show, for, yeah. you know, that you might want to do, but I, I could bring you in for evidence on that. Also, there's a video, if you want, on YouTube called uh, by Dr. Professor Richard Werner. And he goes into the facts that banks don't loan mo- money, they take promissory notes and turn them into securities. That, they're, that's the whole purpose for them to do. But somehow or another, you're saying that when I borrow $200,000 from Bank of America to buy my house, the moment I close on that, it creates a document that's fractionalized, and therefore, my it's that loan is already paid for. Yeah. So That house, that, no, no, that you didn't have a loan. You just said the loan was paid for. You didn't have a loan. It's like you signing a check and giving them a check. That house was paid for at closing. They didn't loan you anything. There was no consideration. And if you know, the banks never show up at a closing. They're never there. You just created a trust where they became the beneficiary of this constantly monthly payment that you're making. They didn't loan you any money, gave you no consideration. They don't, everything is fraud. From the moment they start, everything is fraud. Okay, so so this guy convinced, says, hey, look, you know, look, I need you guys to make some phone calls to get people to. Well, no, no. The, the phone calls were from people who had already taken the seminar. So they already knew what was up. They okay. knew they had already been to the seminar. He gave me uh, um, uh, phone numbers or whatever to call. You know, is uh, the guy who was with the guy who was with um, Tim was his assistant. His name was Buddy Love. So Buddy Love would give me the. <laughs> The, the numbers and, you know, and the names and I'd call them up and say, hey, you know, you just went to the Tim Turner, sermon, uh, Tim Turner seminar, you know, and then I would go into my spiel about, you know, do you want to do it? Do you, you know, we we can get it done for you, da, 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 whatever. I said, I don't remember now. It's been too long. But basically, they were interested and wanted to do it. So I was able to get, a, I don't know how many people involved in it, but 
they did it and they got money back. So you guys would, you filed taxes though, right? Didn't you do something on their taxes? Like you had to file some forms for them? Yeah, yeah. You do the 1099 OID, the 1096, the 1040V, the whole bunch of stuff. But um, we had an IRS enrolled agent, Penny Jones. She was an IRS enrolled agent. So anything- so she worked for the IRS? Did she? Yeah. No, she was an IRS enrolled agent, meaning that she went to classes or studied things that they had taught or whatever, but she wasn't an actual IRS agent. She was an IRS enrolled agent, which is different. Okay. So, so paperwork's filed. These people give you their paperwork. You then file documents for them. And then the IRS. She cuts does. A, okay. Well, she does. Yeah. The IRS cuts a check back to them. And they got to have three approvals from three different uh, departments to get that check to that customer. So the IRS approves it. They get the check. But what they should have done, listen to this. This is what they should have done. And I realized this later in prison. You can't cash the check. But they don't tell you that. You got to sign it back over to the Treasury Department. You got to open up a trust with them. And say, basically, look, you are the trustee. I'm the beneficiary of this trust. I have these debts, the house, the car, the boat, the whatever. And I want you to do a set off on them with my credits. That's what they should have done. But they didn't. They just deposited the check. And then we got caught up in a conspiracy of commingling. Okay, so. And I'm a solid guy, Matt. I didn't have to turn anybody in, yo. No, you went to trial. I'm a solid guy, Matt. How did that work out? <laughs> so, so you do this, and what <laughs> you do this, and what happens? So they they got back a bunch of money. Didn't a lot of people get money back? Weren't they cashing? Oh, in the millions, in the millions. The people were depositing money in the millions of dollars. There was like a, one was like half a million dollars. One was like a million point something. One was like there were millions of dollars being deposited. People are depositing the checks. If you look at my name on Google hyphen tax case, it goes into it, it says it was roughly $160 million we got back. Okay. Roughly. How long did this go on? Was long, about six months. Was long. So at some point, who could once you. Once you got the customer and you, you we filed immediately, I mean, we you know, it doesn't take that long to do because they would um, do a 1099 OID on their uh, checking account. Everything they paid through that checking account would be OID'd. So, you know, because everything you sign into existence is going through that checking account. Basically, if you bought a boat, you got a student loan, what whatever loan, suppose loan, you know, I say loan. Um, it goes through that account and we got checks back pretty quickly. Okay. So, um, so at one point though, the place gets what busted rated, uh, you get target letters. What happens? Uh, target letters mainly. And so target letter is a target letter is a letter sent from a federal agency saying you're being investigated. Yeah, not me, but the other guys did, yeah. Um, I got busted by IRS CID 
when I reported to my probation officer for the check thing that <laughs> my friend Jose got me into. I was still on probation for that. So I got busted at my probation officer's office by IRS CID. They asked you to come in for some reason. You well, I came in. in. I came in every month, I think. Yeah, just to check in, and you know, they knew when I was coming in. And so, did they they arrested you or just questioned you? No, they arrested me, handcuffs, and put in the car and taken downtown. So, and I spend the night. Did you get out the next day? Oh, nice. Yeah. And then I was put on ankle monitor. Then again. <sighs> and then you got what a public defender and decided to go to trial. Uh, you kind of forced to get a public defender. I even tried firing him and Michael Bider tried to fire his attorney and they all try to fire their attorneys and they wouldn't let them. They, that's how they get jurisdiction over you. The bar stands for British Accreditation Registry. They're all members of the bar. <laughs> if so, you know, all attorneys have the name Esquire after their name. It's a title of British nobility. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not making it up. <laughs> okay, so you go to trial. Uh-huh. How many of you guys go to trial? Four. Four people go to trial. And how long was the trial? Month, thirty days. What, what happens? What happens at the trial? You explain all of this to the judge. We all bend over and get fucked by the judge as well. <laughs> you explain all this to the to the public. To the, I mean, you you explain all this to a jury. Is it a jury trial? Yeah, jury trial. A lot of them were falling asleep because it was taxes. You know, taxes kind of boring. But um, you, you I asked. It? I asked the judge. I said, look. Are we not allowed to confront our accusers? And if the accuser is United States of America, I want the United States of America to get on the witness stand. And I want to see the driver's license of this United States of America. Because there is no uh, there is no bodily injury. I mean, no one got injured. So I want to see who my accuser is. And the accuser also is supposedly the, attorney, uh, the Internal Revenue Service. Not the United States. United States is a, is a corporation. It's not a landmass. The, not the entire landmass of the United States of America is against us. Well, how, how, what did the doc? What did the judge say? He wasn't too thrilled with that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm assuming the United States uh, didn't show up. No, they said the U.S. attorney represents the United States government. Um, so, okay. So what, what ends up, so anything else notable? Like, I mean, did you explain they didn't, that the United States, the court didn't have jurisdiction over you? Did you tell them that? Did you do the whole? Yeah, but they didn't want me speaking after a while. You know, they didn't want me talking. <laughs> who, who didn't want you talking? The judge. <laughs> so, I mean, you can uh, do some of these things, but they don't want you. Uh, you know, I tried fire my attorney, but he, they didn't want that because that's how they get. Like I said, that's how they get jurisdiction over you is, is through that attorney. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was quite the experience realizing they don't care about truth. 
Um, I was bringing in some evidence that they didn't want to, they didn't want to bring before they didn't want anybody to see. Um, one of his videotape, you can watch it on, on YouTube. It's uh, called America freedom to fascism, which is, uh, what the IRS. Oh, yeah. That, I saw that movie. Yeah. The movie. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty good. <laughs> good movie. That was a good movie. <laughs> Aaron Russo put it together. That was in he the did. theaters. America freedom to fascism? No. It's yeah, documentary. It was a... It's documentary put by uh together by Aaron Russo who did um Trading Places with Eddie Murphy. I know I saw it in it wasn't like in like AMC theaters. It was in the um you know, kind of like the off. I saw it in the theater though. It was a, kind of an off you know, like a, where they do artsy films. Right. It was in one of those theaters. I saw it. Well, I saw it when I was on the run. I saw it in I saw it in 2006. No kidding. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you learn there is no law to pay taxes. Well, you know, I watched the movie. I, I listened <laughs> to what they have to say. I, we've had this discussion where, you know, you can show me all this stuff and you can tell me all these stories and, and you can show me the law and everything. But in the end, they have the guns, they have the manpower and they have the prisons. And if they say everybody's paying... Everybody's paying. And the whole time they're dragging you away, you're screaming, this is illegal. You can't do this. You have no rights. And, you know, you can complain the whole time you're locked up in prison yeah. about how you shouldn't be here. Your rights are right this way. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you're going to do that time. So um, so what happens? They they eventually they they get you for how, how much? How much? 15. 180, 180 months, 15 years. For 15 years. They find and my uh, uh, friends did 24. Uh, David Klum and Michael Bider did, are doing 24 years. Did they get uh, out for the COVID thing? or No, I don't, no, I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't keep up with them. Uh, Penny Jones got 12 years. Dale Peters got 12 years. He's got, I, I, he, he, I contact, I mean, we communicate through Telegram. And there was another guy named... Uh, Michael Smith, I think, or John Smith, something like that. He was in California. He got out after three years. John Smith. That doesn't sound made up. <laughs> um, so you went to prison and you did. And you, I met Matt Cox. There you, you are. <laughs> did you do the uh, 2255 or anything like that? Or did you? Nah. Did you, you now, appeal? And you know what? Didn't you appeal? Uh, yeah, we did an appeal and that was denied. And, uh, Frank Amadeo wouldn't even take my case. No. No, he wouldn't. He, he read it. He, I mean, I had. I know. I remember. Uh, and he said he read it all in one night. I don't know how he did that. I couldn't even read it in one night. But um, he said he read it. But he, he wouldn't take my case for whatever reason. I don't understand why. Mine, I would think, was simple compared to, you know, you know kidnapping or drugs or whatever. But. Well, I mean, it was a month-long trial in front of a jury that didn't buy the idea of the 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 uh, the ten ninety nine OID. They, they didn't buy it. Like they didn't believe that that was a real thing. And so, right? They they eventually said, "Hey, you broke the law by getting this money back or filing filing these false tax returns." I mean, it was what was the it was actually tax fraud, right? It wasn't what was the actual? No, it was defrauding the United States government. Okay, 
that's what I went to prison for was the United States Code Title 18, Section uh, 20, no, it's 286 and 287. What was how what was the dollar amount that they said you owe? Uh five point four million dollars. Five point four million? Yeah. Um I never saw, so I don't know how I can owe it, but whatever. The combination of all that's that's my restitution. Was that money that they did they ever get the money back from these people? They got it all back. And they want more on top of that. Hmm. Crazy, huh? <laughs> so, how long did you fight your case? So, you, when we were locked up, you were fighting the entire time to get out. Once the appeal was denied, because I remember you were waiting for the the appeal to get denied in order to file your your like your straw man claim to because to get out of prison. Yeah, but then I got shipped. I got shipped, so I, 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 you know how it is. All your paperwork gets all discombobulated and shit. So I got shipped after. I think I was in Coleman. I think was it two years? I think or a year and a half. Dude, it was a couple of years, I think. But yeah, whatever. So, so two years, and then I got shipped, and then um, I, I I got shipped mainly because I proved that the FRP payment was all bullshit, and right. they, they didn't like that at all. At Oakdale, get a load of this. When I was at Oakdale. No, I'm sorry. All right, this is what happened. I went from Coleman to Yazoo. Yazoo low, I was there for eight months, nine months, something like that. And then I was put at the camp for six weeks until I got caught with a cell phone. <laughs> I got caught with a cell phone. And You're then not I supposed was- to have a cell phone, Chris. No. <laughs> so... Well, let me tell you, it was a shock when I got there. The minute that the first day I got there and the guard went around the corner, that place opened up like a telemarketing room. I couldn't believe it. Everyone was on the phone. It was like, it was like what? The, it was like a call center, dude. I couldn't believe it. And so, I mean, I had to get a phone. So I got a phone. But the thing is, I'm, as you, you know, I'm blind. So I was looking at the cell phone real close one night and all the lights were off and I was, you know, looking at it real close because I'm blind. So the light is in my eyes and I, you know, it takes a minute for you to focus the room. And this little guard came up on me and found me, you know, charging my phone. But anyway, anyway, I ended up at the pen. Shoe. From the camp to the pen? Yeah, because that's that's where they keep the shoe. Okay, yeah, I was there for six weeks, and then I went from there to uh, Bloody Beaumont. And I was at Bloody Beaumont Low for two years, and that's when Hurricane Harvey hit, man. That was a whew, ooh, almost a riot started there because all, all the electricity was out. That means you couldn't flush the toilets. Dude. You couldn't – had no AC. Um the guards weren't showing up for work because they had their own issues. You know, their, their own houses were being flooded and stuff like that. So they weren't showing up for work. We couldn't get food, couldn't use the toilet. I mean, they had to bring in, um, porta potties in. So the toilets were full. They couldn't be flushed because there was no electricity and they had to bring fans cabled in through. It was crazy. It was really, it was really a, a situation that was going to get bad real fast. But 
But anyway, I wrote a BP-8 after all that happened. This is like a year later. Um, that United States Code Title 18 had never been ratified by Congress back in 1947. Truman never signed it. And we all fall under crime and punishment, which is United States Code Title 18. They didn't have a quorum. A quorum was 218. They had 38 to 6. And they passed it during a holiday when nobody was really there. So Truman never signed it because of the signed die adjournment. It's like when a when a a law is supposed to be brought forth to, for him to sign, and he doesn't sign it by the end of the day, it dies. It's signed die. You don't sign it, it dies. Well, he didn't sign it, and they pushed it through anyway. So it never really ended up at the Federal Registry, and I have evidence of that. And I made a BP-8 of that, and man, they put me in the shoe right away. They didn't want anyone to hear about that. They put me in the shoe for three months, dude, for that shit. And then they shipped me to Oakdale, Louisiana. So you were basically telling the Bureau of Prisons that they didn't have jurisdiction over any of the inmates. <laughs> and basically they had to let everybody go, right? <laughs> and so they, okay. <laughs> but it's a fact. It's true. Absolutely. It's true. I know it's true. Did you? I have a question. Did you? Think that the, did you think the warden was going to get that and go? My God, let me look into this. I have the director of the Federal Bureau of Prisons, Harlan Lappin, letter that says what exactly are we doing? what you just said. What are we doing holding these people? Exactly. You That's what his right. letter says. I can read it to you. I can get it for you and read it to you next time. I know your time is almost up here, but Open yeah. Open the gates. <laughs> Let these guys out. Chris, I can't <laughs> believe Chris Marrero. Oh, and I was also asking, asking for $30 million. They weren't too thrilled about Why not? Money doesn't exist. <laughs> there is no money. There's no money. So what did you want $30 million for? Because <laughs> you need something. What do you pay your rent with? <laughs> Federal Reserve notes, unfortunately. I keep, I keep telling my landlord, there's no, there is no money. He keeps, they keeps having these cops throw me out. That's crazy. <laughs> but, the, but it's true. Truman never signed. The whole time they're dragging you out of the house, you're going, but Truman never signed. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. It's unfair. Oh. <laughs> so, so then they released me because of COVID. So I got out because of COVID. That was the only good thing of COVID, I guess. And I got released in May 19, 2020. Did you file for it? No. They released me under the CARES Act, I guess, or whatever it was. They just they called you up and said you're over 50. Yeah. Did ha I did more than uh, just a little over half percent, fifty percent of my time, and uh, they said pack up. So the CARES Act was signed into law by who? Trump. Right, and that said that if you're over what fifty, isn't it fifty years old? You only have to do like fifty percent of your time or something like that. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So you do fifty percent of your time, 
and you're in danger because of COVID. Yeah. And they said, kick rocks, put this ankle monitor on, go home, get a job. And they sent me to my ex-wife's house with her husband. And she took you in. They took you in. They were like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But after a while, it became a nightmare. I had to get after a while. Yeah. I can only imagine. Look, while I was married and my ex-wife was happy, it was a nightmare. (laughs) I can imagine if I had to go live with her and Nick right now. Oh, my God. He'd be like, I thought we were done with this guy. (laughs) Thought he was locked up. What happened? Yeah, exactly. So... It's been a rocket ride, that's for sure. Um, okay. <laughs> so I do have a question because we didn't really touch on it. But what happened when you made the judge the trustee? What case was that? Oh, that was the uh, case of the checks that uh, my friend Jose gave me. Um I made, I, I did documentation to make her the trustee. So you were charged before you were placed on probation. What happened? I mean, what happened? You were charged, you were arrested. You got right. out the next day on a bond. Mm-hmm. What happened? Well, I was trying to make her trustee of the case. I don't remember the details of it all. It was so long ago. Um, but she what, lied and, and said that I had missed a court case. And that's why she had the ability to arrest me this bitch lied i couldn't believe it because i had i show up to all my court cases i mean all my court dates and um she said i had not shown up for a court case and that's why she issued a warrant for my arrest so when you say you made her the trustee what did you do like after you'd been charged you did something you filed paperwork you yeah, if I'm just people to make her trustee, do full settlement and closure of the account. So you're saying that the indictment or charge on you was unlawful or was actually... It's a what? trust. It's all a trust. Everything is a trust. And you made her the trustee. <laughs> I don't understand. But, and you made her the trustee... To do a full settlement and closure of the account. So the charge against you is a trust. Yeah, they're, they're, when they're charging you, it's like, for example, you go to a store and you buy something with a credit card. They're going to charge you on the credit card, right? Right. When you break a statute and code, they're charging the straw man account because you have unlimited, unlimited credits at the treasury. So they're charging that account. You got it? Okay. Yeah. So what I'm asking you to do is just do a full settlement closure of this account because each case is an account. That's what I was doing. I know it sounds great. And so you made her the trustee. Right. You filed paperwork saying this whole thing is a trust and I'm making you judge the trustee and I'm asking you to close it out. Correct. And she was upset. Yeah, she was upset. I made her a trustee. 
And so she said she set a court date and said you missed it. Right. And then had you arrested, brought back in front of her. And what what would she say to you? I uh, didn't know. I didn't go in front of her when some in front of someone else. Some Probably other guy. Conflict of interest because you'd named her as a trustee. Yeah, I think or something like that. Some what did that judge say? Did he have a find that comical or? No, they don't ever find anything comical. <laughs> I know they don't. <laughs> like, did he say, "Boy, you you really got judge Judge Judy over here. She's really <laughs> upset. Like, oh, you killed me. I can't stand her either." No, nothing like that. No. <laughs> so what? What? What they say? Just oh, just uh, I, don't, I don't remember. It was just. It was just. Uh, they let me go. I mean, it was just. Uh, Stop it. Yeah, it was just. They didn't sentence me to anything or anything like that. They just dismissed the case, which is they what said, I wanted anyway. They said, "Just stop this." <laughs> I see you filed this, and it stop it. I better not see my name as a trustee in this case. And they said, we're just going to let you go because you're a problem. That's what all you right. want to be. You want to be a problem. Yeah. You don't want to be just lay down and let them walk all over you. You want to be that problem. You know, Tim Turner said one time in court, he said, judge, what rank in the military do you hold? And the judge yeah. dismissed the case right away. Let him go. They don't want to answer certain questions. Because they're all admiralty maritime courts. They're administrative courts. They're not Title Three courts. They're all administrative. And if, the, it's the, an, if it's an admiralty court, they don't want to even discuss the fact that it's a military tribunal. Which is what it is. So when you ask him what rank in the military do you hold, he uh, he he dismissed the case right away. It's it's it's, it's oh my. So the court, <laughs> so the court is. You're saying that courts are not criminal courts; they're maritime courts or something, or what? What is they're admiralty maritime courts? Yeah, which is like I said, you are a vessel on the sea of commerce. Your name and capital. If you look at a cargo ship, all the name, all the letters are in capital letters. So you are the vessel on a sea of commerce, and basically, <laughs> they're pirates entering the vessel to steal all they can steal. I mean, to steal your life, steal your time, steal your money. You know, it's it's crazy, but they're thieves. I mean, on another show, I'll show you evidence if you have time to be able to show the, the screen and show the evidence and, and whatever and hear whatever, you know, it, it's it's interesting stuff. But putting it to our work in action, sometimes you got to remember, I was say, but I'm still ended up in prison. <laughs> I'm, I'm still I'm still I'm still on an ankle monitor. You can't do this. You want to see it? Here it is. Oh, oh my God. Got it. <laughs> Did you tell your probation officer about this? No. No. <laughs> you didn't tell him about the the maritime thing and they can't do this and no. He didn't. Oh, that, well, no, no. I don't even talk to them about that. They're so stupid. It's just, you know, it's, it's not even worth the argument. 
they're really dumb. You got to go through the courts if you're going to go through all that. But you've gone through the courts. No, I'm going to go again. I got, I got, a, I'm doing a writ of habeas corpus and, uh, and uh, to get rid of this ankle monitor, dude, it's just, it's driving me nuts. It's really driving. I've been on it for two years. They wanted to be on it till 2025 in September and then, then put me on a three year supervised release. It's ridiculous. It's like, Come on, dude. I'll do some, some telemarketing. I mean, shit. Bill Cosby got off after two years raping 100 women. Come on. It's ridiculous. You should have been out there raping. That's the problem. <laughs> That's right. If I'm going to do a crime, let me do a crime. I should have gone in the bank with a gun. And I'd have gotten, they'd have been like, ah, three years. Well, you know what? He was already on probation. He's a felon. Seven years. Give him seven years. Instead, I used a pen, and they said, oh, hell no. 26. Hell no. 26. That dude had a bick. <laughs> was it a ballpoint? Yes, sir, it was a ballpoint. <laughs> oh, hell no. Four more months for an enhancement for the ballpoint. What the hell? Oh, man. Good times. Yeah. Oh, yeah, good times. So good what, times. So you're you're doing a habeas corpus uh, motion to get off the ankle monitor, and then what is it? That, so what what's going to happen with the house? What what are we going to do when all these houses start going under? You think? Uh, oh, the, there's a, a bubble. Oh yeah, it's a tsunami of foreclosures coming up, big time. Because during COVID, as you know, they did a moratorium. Moratorium's over, and there's going to be so many opportunities to get rich if you're. If you, are you going to get back into real estate yourself? If, or you're, if you're willing to rent out some houses, <laughs> better <in> foreclosure. <laughs> no, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> no. Wait, you don't have to worry about Jose's gone. Or whatever his name's gone. Or whatever the guy's name that was. Abner. His name was Abner. <laughs> He's gone. We know what went wrong last time. We're not going to do that again. <laughs> yeah, I don't, uh, don't want to do that again. I'm getting too old for this shit, dude. Fuck. Yeah, at this point, if I could just order a pizza once a week, turn the TV, I get to turn the TV. I can watch by my side. I don't have to, don't have to put it on the schedule. I don't have to say, hey, can we watch? Can, can we watch Walking Dead on Sunday? Where I like Walking Dead. Put me on the schedule. I don't have to say that now. Now I want to watch Walking Dead. I just fucking say I'm watching it. I got my right. own TV. It's a great feeling. Man. Man. Ridiculous. How ridiculous. Cook's it's a great feeling, isn't it? Cook is still locked up. Yeah. You remember Cook? Yeah, for how long? Oh, I don't know. He's whatever. He got 15 years. He's probably he'll be out in a few years. Five, so sorry, years. Red Bull. Red Bull's still locked up. Fucking that guy. What a maniac. I liked him though. I loved Red Bull. He was super entertaining. He was smart. Yeah. He was funny. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't invest my life savings with them. I can tell you that. That's a problem. <laughs> I'm not buying a business opportunity from him. But, yeah, I'll hang out with him on a Friday night. Yeah, we could get yeah. going. I wish I could help him to get out, but I can't, you know, you can't communicate with anybody in prison once you're, you know, you got this thing on your leg. Yeah, yeah. But you're totally out on everything? No probation on nothing? No, I got probation. For how long? Oh, five years. I'm on I'm at three years right now. I just filed a motion to try and get off, but because I owe six million, 
you know, they don't want to let you off when you owe money. Because, you know, they think I'm going to, if I, they keep me on probation the whole five years, I'll have it paid off at 150 to sometimes I pay hundred, 150. <laughs> sometimes I pay 600. Sometimes it's 400 a month. It depends on what I make, but they somehow or another think, well, let's keep them on an extra two years because that, that'll close the gap between what the hundred dollars a month he's been paying and the 6 million. You could challenge him and say, what is money? <laughs> yeah. My judge, I have a good relationship with him so far. <laughs> like, I'm going to, so we'll see. I did. I put in a motion like uh, a, a week or two uh, no, and it was filed on uh, July 18th. So I'm waiting to see what happens. So, uh, the judge hasn't the government hasn't responded. And the judge hasn't told them to respond. So, you know, I think it's like 14 day after two weeks or something. If nobody they don't respond, then they just grant the motion. Right. So I, I'm you know, it was the 18th. I mean, what's today? 27th, 28th, something like that. What is today? You don't know. I don't know. Today's the 28th, so it's the 28th. So whatever, in another week or so, we'll see what happens. What kind of motion was it? It was just a, a motion to terminate my probation. I've done three years on a five-year probation. Everybody else I know gets half time, like halfway right. through. Um, halfway through their probation, their probation, they let them go. Well, you know, it's, I say probation. You said, you know, it's supervised release, but. Well, no, on me, it's federal house arrest. It's not probation. It's not considered legally probation. It's, what, no, I'm, for still, me, I'm, I'm still in prison. Right. I'm on supervised release. Right. I always say probation because then otherwise people are like, if I explain supervised release, then they're like, well, what's that? And it's like, it's basically probation. I'm It's probation. Right. But really, the court still has jurisdiction over me. Right. And I guess in, in for probation, then the Justice Department has, um, but right now the has, uh, I think, jurisdiction or the probation officer or something like that. But supervised release, technically, the judge still has the say so. You know, um, and so I, I filed a motion to say, hey, look, you know, despite the fact that I still owe this money, like keeping me on an extra two years is not going to change anything. And my probation officer has said that, look, like there's no reason for you to be on probation, but because you owe money, I can't ask them to take you off. But she said, if they call me, I will tell them, look, I can't, rec I can't recommend they take you off. But to be honest with you, there's just no reason to keep them on probation. It's just, it's really just a more of a problem for her every month and for me every month. Cause I have to fill all the, all the paperwork. She has to look over the paperwork. Like it's just stupid. Right. Um, but I would like to get off, uh, I'd like to get off paper or probation. Well, you know, when I say paper, people don't know what that means. You have to understand most of the people that I'm, are watching these types of things, like if I say paper, like I'll say probation because I don't want to say supervised release because they don't understand. But everybody knows what probation is. And I don't say, you know, a lot of times you're talking to another, another, um, you know, the guy that's been locked up, you know, you'll say, well, I want to get off paper. And they're like, paper, what's paper? I, I want to get off my probation so we'll see what the judge says and boziak doesn't have any does he boziak has never successfully completed a probation he has been on probation most of his life <laughs> he has never completed one he just he just fucks up so many times while on probation they eventually say like literally his last one the judge said you are unsupervisable 
Yeah, I saw that show. <laughs> Get out of here. Like, just go. He's like, well, I, no, we're just canceling it. We're done with you. <laughs> you're just a waste. You're, you're a waste of, of the probation officer's time. So, yeah, that's it. He locked out. All right, so we're we're pretty much done. You're you're on ankle monitor. We're we're doing the countdown. You're gonna file some motions. I'm assuming that you'll whatever you're filing, they're they'll deny it or throw you back in jail. So it's fine. Um, you know, that happened. Uh the writ is gonna be pertaining to United States Code Title 18 that it wasn't ratified by Congress. Are you serious? Yeah. Isn't your have you filed anything with your with the judge about this whole thing? Not yet. You did the appeal and you never refiled anything. No. So this will be the first time he hears about the United States, the never ratified. Should be a good, we'll have to hear about that. We'll have to do an update. <laughs> I'd love to see the response. <laughs> All right. Good times. <laughs> I'm sure he's going to accept that and be like, oh, absolutely. Oh, my God, what's been happening? Let. I've been making so many mistakes. Let these guys out. <laughs> hey, if you like the video, do me a favor and hit the subscribe button. Um, hit the bell so you get notified of videos like this. Also, leave me a comment in the comment section to say if you uh, enjoy this video or anything you think I could have done to improve it. And uh, yeah, I'll definitely try and I will try and respond to any comments left um, in the comment section. And uh, thank you very much to Chris Marrero for uh, telling us uh, about the, all kinds of stuff. And uh, yeah, I appreciate it. And thank you guys very much. And I will, I'll see you.